Welcome to College Football Live. I'm Matt Schick. Let's go out of the tunnel. We're going to have an interview in a moment with Mark Schleyball to give us the latest developments into the Michigan sign-stealing investigation. And with the first college football playoff rankings a week away, we break down the playoff contenders and pretenders of those teams who eked out a win this weekend. Plus, there's just something about Ohio State that Penn State can't seem to crack. We discuss why the Nittany Lions still cannot get over that hump. We begin College Football Live with the latest from Ann Arbor. Late last week, it was revealed the NCAA is investigating an alleged sign-stealing operation that centers on one of their full-time analysts, Connor Stallions. According to ESPN reporting, it was an elaborate operation that included purchasing tickets to games of Michigan's conference opponents over the last three years and the video recording of those teams' sideline signals in person. Let's welcome in Greg McElroy and, of course, Desmond Howard. Greg, start with you. How big of a deal is this to you? It's significant, uh, and part of the reason why is this is uh, a scheme that just feels as if it's years in the process of kind of figure out the intricate details of how they want to go about figuring out other teams' signals. Now, this is not new in college football. People steal signals every single week. This is something that we see in every nook and cranny of the college football landscape. But when you're going to an extreme like this, in which you have a coach or an assistant or a staff member that's going to other places and surveying what's going on on the opposing sideline and using video recorded evidence to process some of those that sign stealing, that's where it becomes really problematic. All this could go away very quickly, though, if they would just implement what the NFL implements by getting rid of signs altogether and going with radios in every team's helmet. I wish they'd do that and accelerate that process now. We're already starting to get some momentum in that direction, Des, but this is a clearly a very avoidable issue moving forward, but it does look really bad on the Michigan program. Yeah, Greg, like you said, um, it's, um, it's something that a lot of programs, they try to do. I mean, why would you not? You have some three quarterbacks on the sidelines signaling plays. It's almost as if the offensive coordinator dares you to try to decode their system. So uh, I was actually surprised. I didn't even know there was a rule against scouting. I mean, because we've always scouted teams from high school to college to the NFL. So I didn't even know there was a rule. But with that being said, um, it, it seems as though something has happened with this rogue individual who went to stadiums um, and, and looked at the other team's signals. And we're going to see, uh, you know, but Jim Harbaugh said that he's going to cooperate fully. And um, the athletic director, Ward Manuel, he pretty much said the same thing. So we'll see where it goes from here. Pete Tamil, Mark Schlebaugh filed this story for ESPN.com. Check it out right now. Mark Schlebaugh joins us now. Mark, what is the latest on the investigation involving Michigan? Matt, our reporting uncovered yesterday that Connor Stallings, the uh, analyst, had purchased tickets in his name from at least 11 schools in the Big Ten out of the other 13. Uh, multiple tick games, tickets to multiple games over the last three years. Uh, in some cases, he forwarded those tickets to other people. Uh, we know at least one Big Ten school was able to capture video footage of a person sitting in the seat that Stallions paid for, and he was holding an iPhone for the entire game and appeared to be videoing signals from the opposite sideline. 
Connor Stallions, he, he can be seen on the sidelines of these Michigan games. I know there's some video out there uh, that you can find uh, on Twitter, on the X, of him standing next to Jim Harbaugh and the coaching staff. So he's at Michigan on game days. Who's using these tickets? Good question. We got uh, the names of three individuals from various parts of the uh, the country that these tickets were forwarded to, even though he purchased the tickets, some of the tickets at least, off of StubHub and SeatGeek and, uh, and, and uh, other secondary markets. The schools are still able to track who purchased them, where they were sent, uh, the network of people, how big it is, uh, who they involved. We still don't have all the details yet, but that's certainly something the, uh, the NCAA is, is interested in. NCAA looking at Stallion's computer as well. What exactly are they looking for, and how might what they find impact any punishment Michigan undergoes? Yeah, man, I think the big question right now is, was Connor Stallion a, a lone wolf? Was he a rogue actor? Uh, Jim Harbaugh said in his statement he wasn't aware of any illegal scouting that was taking place within his program. He didn't direct anybody to do it. Who knew what? When did they know it? How much were, were Harbaugh and his coaching staff involved in this scheme, if any? Uh, those are the questions the NCAA are gonna, are, is looking to find out. The answers to, uh, you know, they could take a look at his email emails between Jim Harbaugh and, and other coaches with Connor Stallings, uh, expense reports, credit card statements. Was he reimbursed for these tickets he purchased from other Big Ten schools? Uh, those are the, some of, the, some of the, the issues the NCAA is looking at right now. All right, Mark and Pete will be all over it on ESPN.com. Thank you, Mark. Much appreciated. Again, on the heels of that, Michigan easily dispatched to Michigan State. Their biggest games, though, still ahead of them, namely Penn State and Ohio State. Those two squared off in Columbus for the seventh straight year. It was Ohio State putting one in the wind column. Marvin Harrison Jr., a career day. The Penn State offense never got on track. One for 16 on third down. The two head coaches today reflected on Saturday's showdown. I still come to work every day thinking we're not very good, you know, and, you know, I feel like we should have won by 30 points, you know, and you have to have that mentality because whether good, bad, or indifferent, you have to ignore what's going on outside because what matters is what's going on in this building right here and getting better and winning on Saturday. What we got to do is we got to move on and, and learn from it and, and get back to stacking days and, and finding ways to get wins because um, I also believe that we got to make sure that this loss doesn't get us twice, which I think it has happened in the past, because I think of how everybody in the Penn State community responds to these things. Now let's take a look at this week's college football playoff rankings brought to you by Verbo. The loss knocked Penn State down a few spots to number 10 in the newest edition of the AP poll. Top six standing pat, no movement. Texas, Oregon, Alabama all benefited from Penn State's. Yeah, I'll start with you here. How did Saturday's outcome in Columbus impact how you view those two teams? Yeah, so um, watching those two teams, it's, it's really hard to get a grasp on, on either one because the quarterback play just wasn't what you expected. I thought that Drew Aller coming to the 2023 season was going to be a guy to help open up the Penn State offense, but that wasn't the case. And now I understand why a couple of weeks ago, uh, James Franklin was asked during the pre a presser about throwing the ball vertical. How about just chunk it down the field, see what happens? And he, you know, had a kind of like an emotional reaction to that question. Now I see why. They just couldn't go vertical. And then you look at Ohio State. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on with their home run here to Trevion Henderson. I mean, this is an outstanding running back that can go the distance in the blink of an eye. And, 
you know, he's been in and out of the lineup, so the, the running game hasn't been consistent. The only difference is that they had the best player on the field, Marvin Harrison Jr., and he made sure that he showed um, Penn State secondary who he, who he is and what he's made of, Greg. Yeah, I mean, Travion, he's always hurt. It's to this point, it's like all throughout his career is always something. I hate that, but uh, he's just not at this point a real dependable piece for the Ohio State rushing attack. I thought Chip Trainum had some moments. I thought Mayan Williams had a couple moments as well, but this was really all about Marvin Harrison. And a lot of people have said, well, why can't James Franklin get over the hump? Why can't he beat the likes of Ohio State? Why can't he beat the likes of Michigan? It's because they don't have the same caliber of talent. With all due respect to the people that are continually on the annual basis of putting Penn State up there alongside Ohio State in talent, y'all, it's not the case. I mean, Ohio State over the last handful of years has trotted C.J. Stroud onto the field or Justin Fields onto the field. Most recently, it's Kyle McCord. Those guys, whether Kyle McCord becomes a first-round pick, I don't know, but I, I would take all three of the aforementioned players over Sean Clifford and at this point of his development, Drew Aller. I look at Marvin Harrison, Olave, Wilson, all the amazing wide receivers that Ohio State has run onto the field against Penn State. Yeah, and while Jahan Dotson's great, right now they're working with Keandre Lambert-Smith. Ohio State is significantly more talented than Penn State and has been for years. That's why when you look at the record that James Franklin has against Ohio State, it's not necessarily a reflection on the type of coach. It's just a reflection on the personnel that he has to take the field with every time he plays the Buckeyes and to a lesser extent the Wolverines. I, I, you know what, G-Mac, I get that. I want to push back just a little bit on that. There's a very talented Penn State team, had a blue-chip quarterback who they mm -hmm. had attempt 42 passes. Nick Singleton, nine carries. Catron Allen, nine carries. If not for a Curtis Jacobs, you know, uh, scoop and score that was negated by a penalty, maybe we're having a different conversation. How much of this is game planning, just the way they go about their business? Well, Christian Hackenberg was a blue-chip quarterback, too. Uh, I don't care how many stars you have at this point. I mean, it's, it's great that Drew Aller's got a really high ceiling, but I also acknowledge that he, by far, had missed, what, 43% of his throws were considered, quote, off target on Saturday. And if you look at the coverage that his receivers were trying to beat, I didn't think there was a lot of separation between Ohio State's secondary defenders. And you look, too, by the way, Ohio State had a true freshman at corner because Denzel Burke was unavailable. It's not like they were at 100% at any point this past year. Uh, this past weekend as well. So uh, I just look right now at the gap between the two. And while I have a ton of respect for Penn State's program, I just acknowledge that there's a gap that exists between Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. And that gap isn't exactly small, at least at the moment. Hey, Des, quickly, did you see a team on the field Saturday that can beat Michigan? You know, the thing about the science scandal, what gets lost is just how well Michigan's playing on the field. No one's giving these kids credit for going out there and smashing opponents week in and week out. I did not see a team at this point that I thought could beat Michigan by the way they played Saturday. And they pounded Michigan State for sure. No team has handled its business better than Michigan this season, regardless of schedule, no doubt. Up next, we saw some uh, highly favored ranked teams avoid some major upsets. Which one of those great escapes concerns us the most? Next.
Now for this week's ultimate performance presented by BMW. Hats off to the Hoos. 24-point underdog. Virginia upsets number 10 North Carolina on the road. Program's first ever road win against the top 10 team. Largest upset by an ACC team in 25 years, putting a huge dent in the Tar Heels playoff hopes. Other top 10 teams were a little more fortunate avoiding the scare. Let's do some pretenders and contenders here. We had Oklahoma Guys, they beat Texas, then they had a week off, and then they just looked off, escaping UCF by the skin of their teeth, GMAC. Oklahoma, contender or pretender? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still say at the moment, contender. I, I think that they have enough offense and the improvements on the defensive side have been notable. Uh, at the same time, uh, to kind of couch the original point, can they win a national – can they beat Michigan? Can they beat Georgia? That I, I have a hard time seeing right now. But as far as getting to the college football playoff, I think they're still in a really good spot. But the next two weeks will define their season. Yeah, I agree, Greg. I think that they are a contender. Um, you look at what happened a week ago. We see it all the time after one team has such an emotional victory over one of their rivals. Then the next week – they, they kind of come out a little bit flat. That's what we experienced with them. But I think in every game that they have moving forward at Kansas, at Oklahoma State, uh, West Virginia will be interesting, at BYU and TCU, you see that they're, they will be heavy favorites in those games. Uh, the, the, the one thing that, I, that concerns me is the, the, the passing game down the field. Can they stretch the field without Andrell Anthony, the transfer from Michigan who played wide out, who actually got hurt in the Texas game, it won't be available for the rest of the season. They're going to have to find someone to replace Andrew Anthony. All right, Des, let's go to Washington here. A week after beating Oregon, it took a pick six late to provide some separation against one win Arizona State. Contender, pretender, Washington. Guys, you know, late Saturday night, I got a text from one of their coaches that said, we had to get a team win today and team was in caps because they understood that they just escaped by the skin of their teeth again another team that a week before this game they had the emotional victory at home over Oregon came out flat and stayed flat <laughs> but I still do think that Washington is going to be a contender because I still think that they're probably the best team Greg in the Pac-12. Yeah, Des, I'm on board. Uh, I've actually called college football playoff level caliber Washington teams against Arizona State. Check out 2017. They lost that game like 20 to 6, where their offense could just only manufacture six points, and they just weren't very good. They went to the playoff in 16. So this was like a top five team in Washington. This was one of those rip off the rearview mirror burn the tape in advance because it was hideous in so many ways, but you survived. And this is a game, by the way, where we've seen Washington, we've seen Washington lose ones like this in the past. Granted, most of them are outside of Seattle, but still at the same time, it wasn't pretty, but you survived. So take it and run. If you're scoring at home, offensive touchdowns from the weekend, Iowa one, Washington zero. Uh, let's move on here. Uh, Texas, Dez. Um, we'll see if they have contender pretender status here, but what do you think? They already have the loss, and then the narrow win over Houston needed to stave off the Cougars and get some help from the officials in that uh, third down spot there, fourth down spot late in the game. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to be contenders. Um, you know, they struggled against Houston, and then they got their quarterback, Quinn Ewers, 
he ended up getting injured in that game, and it seems like he's going to be out for quite some time with the shoulder injury. And the thing that scares me, uh, that worries me, Greg, is that it's not just a shoulder injury. It's his throwing shoulder. A year ago, it was his non-throwing shoulder. This year, it's his throwing shoulder. And you, as a quarterback, you know how how, how long that may take to come back from an injury that's uh, a part of your that's a part that's on your throwing shoulder. Well, contender status certainly going to be dependent on the health of their quarterback Quinn Ewers, like you said, who was performing very well in the game. 23 of 29, 211 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Exited the game late in the third quarter after taking this hit. He later had his right arm in a sling on the sidelines. Head coach Steve Sarkeesian on who will take the reins. If the game was being played today, Malik would start the game. Um, and, and again, Arch will be ready to go. And like I said before, I've had a ton of confidence in Arch. You know, I think it was a couple weeks ago. I mean, he had a fantastic practice. And so I'm really encouraged by that. Not every school uh, is as fortunate as we are to, to have the quarterback room that we have and the connectivity that that room has. Um, I think a lot can be said for Quinn and his leadership in that room. I think they're always trying to lift each other up and, and help one another. We saw Malik Murphy in the game, GMAC, on Saturday, but is it time to get a glimpse of the Arch Manning era? No. No. Uh, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. I, Come on. You and your five-star quarterbacks today, Matt Schick, let's, let's just relax, okay? It's Malik Murphy's show. They've said that from the spring. This was a pretty hotly contested battle there in the spring to see who was going to be the backup quarterback. Will it be Malik Murphy or will it be the five-star blue chip that Matt Schick wants to start in Arch Manning? And it was Malik Murphy. He played really well in the transfer portal. He played very well in the spring game. Almost entered the transfer portal because a lot of teams were very interested in him potentially coming in and becoming their starting quarterback. Steve Sarkeesian said, man, stay here. We're going to develop you. You're going to get an opportunity to play. He decided to stay, but this young man with a lot of talent and a really high ceiling, it's just about can he manage the game because they're going to be able to run the football with Jonathan Brooks and company, I still feel good about that part of their game. He just has to make good decisions and not turn the ball over because there's still so much more talent than just about every team they'll face up until they play Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. Not just me that wants to see Arch Manning eventually. It's America, Greg. Eventually, uh, we all will. Thank you very much. Uh, coming up again, we're going to get to see Texas's quarterback, whoever it is, this weekend. Part of a triple header Saturday on ABC. Uh, Fourth-ranked Florida State taking on Wake Forest at noon Eastern. And seventh-ranked Texas hosting BYU. Coach Prime in Colorado fresh off the bye taking on UCLA. Speaking of... UCLA, their crosstown rival didn't have much fun Saturday night as the Utes once again got the better of the Trojans. What's wrong with SC? be a great one at Rice Eccles, one of the great environments of college football game day will be on hand. Now it's time to check in on the Capital One rewarding performance with 42% of the vote. Ohio State's win over Penn State takes the prize this week. Bama and Utah getting some love for their big wins as well. Virginia, the upset over UNC. Don't forget to get your vote in on YouTube.com slash at ESPN CFB. Utah and head coach Kyle Whittingham had a great quote after the win 
over USC guys saying, hey, they got their Heisman winning quarterback and Kayla Williams. He's going to do some things. We've got our pig farmer at quarterback, and, and we like that guy too. Uh, Des, how, excuse me, Greg, how far can this pig farmer at quarterback, Bryson Barnes, uh, take Utah? Well, the beautiful thing about Utah is it's seldom about just one player. It's, it always seems to be about the greater good. And if you look at Utah especially, they've now made some adjustments, tweaked their lineup. Y'all, they took a safety in Sione Vaki and made him a running back the last couple weeks. He's been playing both ways, and he's really opened things up for them in the run game. Jaquinda Jackson's also gotten healthy. They're really good in the front seven, both offense, uh, both defensively, and they're doing a great job along the offensive line as well. So I look at this game last week, and it was not at all surprising. But, Des, we're really going to find out about Utah this week when they welcome the Oregon Ducks to town because I think that is a potent offense and I think a really capable defense that Dan Lanning has in Eugene. Yeah, it's going to be a great challenge for the youth, but I have to say I'm a huge fan of Kyle Whittingham and his team and his style of play. I just think they're like a physical bring-your-lunchbox-to-the-game type of mentality, and they're going to punish you. They're going to punish you for four quarters until you relent. That's what they did last week against USC. But Oregon is going to be a different monster because I saw them live and in person in Seattle against Washington, and Bo Nix and that offense they're very dynamic and explosive. So I'm really, really looking forward to this matchup Saturday. I'm staying for the game this time. <laughs> well, Des, USC's <laughs> got games against Washington, Oregon, and UCLA uh, to close out the season. Caleb Williams, USC, what do you want to see from the reigning Heisman Trophy winner to, to cap off the season here? Now, we've seen uh, Caleb Williams when things are great, you know, when he's the Heisman front runner and the team is winning. Now we want to see how he responds to adversity. Um, you know, they, they lost back-to-back -back games. Um, he was harassed through three interceptions in the Notre Dame game. Moving forward, I want to see what type of leadership qualities he has because they're going through some extreme adversity right now. Yeah, out of the, uh, out of the playoff picture already. We shall see how USC gets up off the map. We're back on Wednesday.